Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is seventy years, or eighty if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Second reading is uh, found in 2 Peter, and it's chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget. Forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. 
He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. This is God's word. Thank you, Jenny. We'll do keep that second reading open from the, uh, the letter of 2 Peter, chapter 3. We'll be considering that together in a moment. If you've joined us, if you're visiting, you're very welcome with us. We reach the end of a short series through this New Testament letter of 2 Peter today. And today it's 2 Peter, chapter 3. Why don't we pray for God's help as we begin. Our Father God, we ask that your powerful Holy Spirit would be with us, helping us as we look at your words, words your Spirit has caused to be written. Please help me as I speak, all of us, as we listen to hear your words, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And when I was uh, a schoolboy, I visited London for the first time with my father, just for a couple of days, and uh, we came to London, and I went to the Houses of Parliament. I went to Westminster. Um, I sat in the Commons. I listened to Prime Minister's questions. Uh, I went through uh, the Palace of Westminster, Westminster Abbey. And after a couple of days, I left. And just for those two days, I had this sense, just as a schoolboy, that I joined in the great stream of human life that had passed through London. I joined something that had been going on for centuries, really, unchanged. And then I had a similar feeling a few years later when I came to work in London for the first time. And many of you will know that you, you come up from the tube and you know, there's the old lady of Threadneedle Street. You're surrounded in the centre of London by medieval livery companies that have been there for hundreds of years. There are signs of old Anglo-Saxon London. There's St. Paul's on the horizon. And you get the feeling again, and I got the feeling again, that I joined that great stream of unbroken human life that had passed through London. And basically things have just been going on as they always have uh, in London life. I was reminded of it again this week, actually, so I find myself um, in a university library in a room, and I was surrounded, I discovered, by books about London history. So from Roman London through Anglo-Saxon London and medieval London, Tudor London, 17th, 18th, 19th century, and so on, right up to the present day. And uh, it was remarkable because there was one book that was uh, called A History of London, A.D. 43 to 1964, And what was remarkable was that as you looked in that book, you discovered that the same things had been going on in London for hundreds and even thousands of years, both the good and the bad stuff. So there was one book that was was fascinating. The, The author said this. He said, actually, there are also some unpleasant surprises in the shaded crannies of London's past life. And he said, violence of all sorts seems imprinted in London's DNA whether it's the Victorian Toshers, the massacre of the Jews in 1189, or or even the Brixton riots of 1981, he said, actually, they were just a long line of mob outbursts that stretch back to the Talage riots of 1194. So, So London, those history books about London, they just testify to the unbroken, ongoing stream of human life, as one person said. The goings on of humans just go on. They've been doing the same things, both good and bad, in London, Human life's been going on as far back as the history books go. 
Now, why mention that? Well, that little picture of London life is actually true of every place. So I don't know where you hail from, I guess. Many of us wouldn't have been born and brought up in London. And wherever you're from, whatever town, city, country, continent, well, actually, the same story is true. The goings-on of human beings just go on. Things have, are going on as they've always gone on, as far back as the history books go. But why raise this? Because it ought to begin to make us feel awkward and uncomfortable. It ought to begin to point out an elephant in the room, if you like, that we've been ignoring for the last few weeks as we've looked through this letter of 2 Peter. Let me try and explain. If you've been with us in the letter of 2 Peter, something's been assumed that we need to deal with today. It's been assumed that Christians are to live by a future day where there will be a great breaking in by the Lord Jesus into human history. The goings-on of humans, as they've always done, won't continue according to that future day, that promised future day. There'll be a great breaking in, a great intervention in human history. And, And the trouble is that when we go to the history books, when we look at the life around us, we see that actually there's never been any such thing. And if we're honest, we think there never really will be. And so it looks like Christian people are waiting for a day that will never come. We're waiting for a promised day, a talked about day, that's never going to come. Things have always gone on as they have since the beginning, and they always will. And we meet this charge, we meet that charge head on in this chapter, and we need to answer it. And it's really important how we answer that. Because it will affect how we live today, what we do with today, how we think about this day today. So if we think we're waiting for a day that will never come, we'll live one way. And if we think we're waiting a day that will de- for, for a day that will definitely come, we will live another way. So uh, come with me, first of all, to, to verse 1 of chapter 3. Peter begins, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. That command, we've seen it's to do with his promised coming in power. And then we meet in verses 3 and 4 the charge we've been talking about, the charge that Christian people are waiting for a promised day that's never going to come. That's the charge. Verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. The last days, the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, in other words, today, our generation, the promised coming of Jesus will just look ridiculous. And you see what people will say? Verse 4, where is it? Where is this promise of his coming? Where is it? I mean, the sun rose yesterday, and it didn't come. The sun has risen today, and it's not here. Where is it? And the subtext is, it's never coming. You're waiting for a day that's never coming. And the reason, do you see, verse 4, is there's been an unbroken stream of human life. Everything's gone on as it always has, and so it always will. Do you see? Ever since our fathers, our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has done since the beginning of creation. That's probably a reference to the fathers, the fathers, Jacob, Israel, who fell asleep in death, Genesis 
chapter 49. And so they've been reading the history books, the history book, the Bible, and they've gone back and they've said, actually, as far back as we can go and remember, everything's gone on as it always has done. It's a promised day that's never going to come. Now, we need to meet that head on in verses 5 to 7. Because Peter says here, far from it being a day that will never come, it's a promised day that will definitely come. It will surely come. You see, if the charge is, look, everything's been continuing as it has done from the beginning. As far back as we can go, everything's been continuing unbroken. Peter says, no, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. You've airbrushed out of the history books not just one, but two massive interventions by God. Two massive interventions, creation and the flood. Creation and the flood. Come with me to verse 5. They, the scoffers, deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. That's creation. So Genesis 1, where the Lord, he separates um, the waters above and the waters below and he brings forth the ordered creation, the earth, it appears, by God's words. And then verse 5, by these waters, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. That's the flood just a few chapters further on in Genesis, Genesis 7 and 8, where the Lord submerged the world to a destructive chaos and then raised it again out of that into a new creation. It's happened twice, creation and the flood. And and do you notice how he did it? Back in Genesis 1, how did God create? How did he bring forth that creation? By a word, he spoke it. It was by a word, his mere word brought it about. And verse 7, Peter says, by the same word, the same word that created the earth, the same word that destroyed the old world and renewed it again after the flood, by the same word, the present heavens and earth, verse 7, are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. And so Peter says, The same word has been uttered, has gone out, and so has fixed this creation for that day, a day of cataclysmic cleansing and renewal. It's a day that will definitely come. Now just think, uh, pause for a moment about, uh, and think for for a moment about why, why this matters, why it matters for today, what we think about that day. And there's a little clue in verse 3. You see, what they think of that future day transforms how they live today. Do you see in verse 3, the scoffers come following their own evil desires. You see, it's a convenient thing to think that day is never coming. Of course the scoffers want to believe in a day that will never come because it means that this day can be about doing and living as we please. It means that today can be about my sin and yours if that is a day that is never coming. And so as Christian people, we need to think now about, well, if that's what the, what it make, the difference it makes for the scoffers that this day would never come, well, now that we know this day will surely come, what do we do with today? Because it hasn't come yet. We've got today. The sun has risen today. How should we think about today? Well, the answer is in verses 8 to 10, today is a day of patience. 
verse 8, Peter says, Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. People are deliberately forgetting things, but, but no, to understand today, don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. That's a, a quote directly from our first reading from Psalm 90, verse 3. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, now usually people, um, you might have heard people explain that verse in terms of God's on a different time scale. You know, it's, you know, you've got to think of God's time scale. I mean, you know, God's outside time, and so, you know, a thousand years to him, well, it's just like a day. So if Jesus hasn't come back for 2,000 years, that's just a couple of days to God. He's not slow on his clock. He's on a different time scale. And there is a sense in which Psalm 90 is about how God is the eternal God. In that sense, it's true. He's on a different time scale to us. But if you listened when Jenny was reading Psalm 90, there was a really stark lesson, a stark conclusion to draw from the fact that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. That prayer of Moses, the prayer of the people of God, about God's eternity, it brought home painfully our condition. It brought home painfully the fragility of our life. On either side of that verse in Psalm 90, there's talk of us being dust when God returns us to the dust from which he made. There's talk of us being like grass that's swept away in a moment. And it's speaking about um, not the natural frailty of human life, but the fact that we all live under the conditions of a cursed world, a world marred by sin, and we're part of it. And God's eternity presses that home really sharply to us. It reminds us painfully that, that what we need today, it's not judgment, but mercy. We're like grass and dust. What we need today is not to be swept away in judgment. We need mercy. It's a precarious existence being grass. It's particularly true if uh, it's in my back garden. Um, so uh, it's much better if uh, you're in my garden. You're going to get mauled as I uh, mow the lawn around it. And so it's much better, actually, if there's delay, if there's patience. Grass can survive. It's not swept away. And there's a sense in which Psalm 90 tells us that we are in our human condition like grass. And what we need most is not wrath, not judgment, not to be swept away but it is mercy. And that tells us what this day is about. That tells us that this day is a day of patience. So the fact that the the sun rose today, it, it means not that the Lord is slow in the sense of being slow to do what he should do or slow in the sense of being unable to intervene. It's he's being slow in the sense of being slow to anger. He's being compassionate with us. He's being merciful to us. This is a day of grace. Do you see that's what Peter says, verse 9? The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. It's not his inability to judge. It's his desire to save. He's patient with you, verse 9, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so can I say then that today is a day of grace. It's a day to receive God's mercy. It's a day to experience and taste his compassion because today is a day of God's patience. He holds back that day 
that we might experience his compassion and his mercy that we so desperately need in advance of it. Verse 9, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that means that for us today, today is not a day to indulge in sin, but to turn from it. That's how we experience his grace and mercy. So things we're tolerating, things we're justifying, whether it be in our hearts, our lives, our marriages, in our church, the grudges we're bearing, the bitterness we nurture, the ambition we feed, the malice we hold on to, the lusts we're playing with. Well, today is a day not to indulge, but to turn from it. Today is permission, freedom, to turn back to God and receive his mercy. If, uh, if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, the, the proof that God longs to forgive you and show mercy to you is the fact that there is a day called today. Please know the Lord is being patient with us. He longs that we be saved, that none of us perish. He longs that we turn back to him. One old writer said that uh, every human being has over their life a banner, a sign. And it's either that of Psalm 90, which is the experience and the taste of wrath, or it is grace. It is either days that pass away fleetingly, or it is knowing the endless day of God's unfailing love. And in a sense, today is about swapping the banner that's naturally over our lives, from curse to blessing, from judgment to mercy and grace. So turn back to the Lord. Do it today. Do it today. Change the banner, as it were, over our life from one of judgment to mercy. Verse 10, Peter comes back to say, this day is certain. The Lord will intervene. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That reference to the elements, by the way, it's not so much the physical atoms, but it is the moral or immoral order. It's the ungodly principle according to which this world runs at the moment, living in God's world as if he doesn't exist. But that will reach a full stop and amends, says verse 10. Now we need, finally, as we come to verses 11 to 16, to draw this together, we've begun to see what this means for us today, and Peter draws for us, draws the threads together in verse 11. He asks that question, look, since, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Now, I think we've got a problem with verse 11 usually. Our usual way of reading it is, okay, he's saying one day there's going to be a terrible destruction on the ungodly world, so therefore live holy and godly lives. And, and we read that full of fear. We think God's saying, so be good or else. Don't be bad or else. But that's not at all what's going on. Fear never leads to holy and godly lives. You know, there's something much different, much more wonderful going on. Verse 12 Do you see that you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, meaning eagerly awaiting, longing for it? Verse 20, in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to. Verse 14, since you are looking forward to this. 
This day doesn't hold fear for the Christian person, the person who's turned to the Lord Jesus, but holds great promise. I can still uh, remember about uh, 10 years ago um, arriving in the Swiss Alps with a couple of friends, and uh, we arrived at Interlaken, and we were going up, winding our way on the train up uh, the mountain. And uh, I saw the Jungfrau Mountain, and uh, we were staring at the Jungfrau Mountain because we were, we were planning on going up it the next day, and it was terrifying. It was really foreboding. It was partly the weather, but it just, it just looked unscalable, really severe. And yet, the next day, we saw a completely different side of it. We saw there was another side of it. And again, it was partly the weather, so the sun was shining. There was a lot of grass. It was stunning views. And we were there. We were there at the top. And there's a sense in which, having come to taste God's grace, this day is like a double day. There is something beyond the destruction spoken of in verse 12. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But do you see there's a different thing? There's another side now that's disclosed to the Christian person. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We would have never known that side of it. We would have never known that that day held promise for us except for God's grace. But now through the Lord Jesus Christ, we look at that day and it's a double day. It's not just a day where there'll be a great cutting off of the ungodly world, but it will be a day just like the flood where there will be a new heavens and a new earth that will emerge and it will be the home of righteousness. And so when Peter says live holy and godly lives, he's saying live knowing that that is your home. Live knowing that you belong where righteousness dwells. You belong in the new heavens and the new earth. We have a promise, it's a certain promise, of entering a new creation, the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. So let me urge us, our bitterness of hearts, our gossip, our slander, our desire now for selfish ambition and self-satisfaction, all that we're toying with that belongs to the passing day of sin. Well, Peter encourages us to leave it behind, to turn from it. Instead, to embrace godly and upright lives because we have a home and it is the home of righteousness, the new heavens and the new earth. Peter says at the beginning of verse 15, summing up, that's what today is all about. Today is all about the Lord's patience. Today is meant to be, for us, salvation. We're supposed to taste that today, and we do so as we turn back. Today is a day not to indulge sin, but to turn from it. You notice in verse 15, he comes back to a theme he's talked about earlier, which is that all the apostles and all the prophets say the same thing. He says, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him, He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. He says what he's been saying all along in this letter, which is that the prophets and the apostles all speak the same message. It is the message of a certain day. It is a day that will come, and it is a day that holds great promise for us. And so as we finish, we're to wait in godliness for that certain day. Today means not waiting in sin. 
but waiting because of his salvation. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Father God, we praise you for protecting and keeping us steady in looking to your promise. We thank you today that we can know that there is a sure and certain day coming which will mean us coming home to the new heavens and the new earth, the home where righteousness dwells. And we pray that we would wait for that in godly and holy lives as we look forward to that certain day. We pray, Father God, that we would know today and taste your grace and salvation. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.